Hello, and welcome to episode 146 of the Casual Tryhard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And this week, we've got, by the time you listen to this, all of Crimson Val should be spoiled, or almost all of it. Oh, yeah, it should be out, like, fully this Friday, right? Yeah, like, they're just dumping cards on our heads. Yikes, uh, so next week is our set review episode? Yikes. Is that right? Yeah, I guess. Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. But... Because of that, we're going to touch on the mechanics uh, mm-hmm. from the set. And then someone's got like, you know, investing, specking question that they wanted answered. So yep. we thought we'd do some like new cards and kind of touch on a subject that uh, we have touched on a few times previously. But I guess everyone wants to make money. That's right. <laughs> in, in, in between the pre-show and the... Uh, in the real show, we were we were talking crypto, so we're into we're into making money too. Uh, we uh, <laughs> in the word in the words of Marshall Sutcliffe, neither of us are financial advisors. Uh, no, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. We are not regulated by the FEC or anyone else. No. So, um, if you want to tweet at us, I don't know your your thoughts about Crimson Val, your thoughts on specking on magic cards, or which random meme coin we should uh, put 20 bucks in you can get yeah, us so you, at casual you can't even tripod. say like the one with the dog anymore because there's more than one <laughs> there's more than one <laughs> yeah uh, maybe we're, maybe we're gonna hold out for like labradoodle coin or something <laughs> we can make our own get it on the ground floor yeah exactly casual coin that's right <laughs> we can use our logo for the for the coin for the coin perfect there we, there we go we can we can drive podcasts uh, listenership and yeah. <laughs> get this sweet, sweet uh, uh, coins going. Crypto millionaires. <laughs> millionaires, man. People crypto billionaires. Sure. And you have the same problem with crypto that you have with magic cards. I have all these magic cards with all this money. How do I turn them into monies? <laughs> it's the same problem. <laughs> but so you can get us on Twitter, like I said, at Casual Tripod. Yep, or you can find us on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG, or you can email us, which is where this week's uh, topic comes from, uh, show at CasualTryhardMTG.com. Um, if you're looking to pick up any singles, like if you come up with a spec that you're interested in, like we're going to talk about today, uh, we would appreciate it if you use our TCG player affiliate link, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. Follow that link into TCG Player and then sign in like you normally would. And anything you purchase after that, we'll get a percentage of to help keep the show going. And if you guys want to support us a little bit more directly, uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash casual tryhard MTG. Uh, throw us a couple bucks and you'll get access to our show notes. You'll get access to our pre-show. Um, I just sent out the... Uh, next round of patron givebacks uh, Saturday, I think. So they should be getting into your hands soon, patrons. Thank you very much. And uh, the next one I'll probably do in December sometime. I'll send those out. Uh, so stay tuned for those. If you guys want to get in on the sweet patron givebacks, uh, like I said, go over to patreon.com slash casual MTG. Sign up, throw us a couple bucks, and I'll put you on the list. Um I'm also going to, I know I've mentioned it a couple times the last couple of weeks or whatever, but I've got a casual try hard play mat that I designed and had printed up. I'm probably going to raffle off uh, in December as well. So 
if you want entered in that, uh, hop on over to patreon.com slash casual tryhardmtg and sign up. Uh, also, we have our YouTube channel, Casual Tryhard MTG on YouTube. Uh, starting with whenever Crimson Vow comes out, I guess a week, two weeks. Um, I should have some product opening videos going up. And as soon as it's on Arena, I would imagine you're going to have some sort of limited content going up, right? Yeah, I'll probably, probably. try to sit down and play some limited games. It's hard because it's like, yeah, like I've got to, like, I tried to record them on my iPad, which you can yeah. kind of do. But it's just not the same. Though I have thought about, and people have to let me know, like maybe I could just record drafts. Just and, the draft part and not the gameplay? Yeah, and then just be like, hey, this deck went blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right, at the end? Yeah. Like, because I don't I like know that. how many people, uh, well, I kind of know, not a lot of people sit through the entire, like, hour and a half video. Yeah. Right, and the best part yeah. is always the draft. The best part is always the draft. Right, I mean, it's was, where you get the most information from. Yeah. Right. Because so. unless your deck looks awful, like a lot of times it's just like crap that's, you know, sometimes out of your control. It's like, oh, I didn't draw a third land. Yeah. Uh, cool. But yeah, I might try to do that. Just something different. Yeah. So I'm not putting up like three hour videos or whatever. Yeah. No, that's a good idea. I like that. Uh, so yeah, check out our YouTube channel, Casual Tryhard MTG over there. Uh, go on over, click the subscribe button, ring the bell, whatever you do on YouTube over there to make sure you're alerted when our content goes up. And then we also have our Discord. Uh, there's a link in the description. There's a link on all our social media for you to hop in our Discord, engage with us, ask questions. Uh, I see somebody just posted up asking for deck advice. That's something you can do in Discord. So hop on over there and talk to us. We'd like to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so we got a couple little housekeeping things this week. Uh, number okay. one is I wanted to say thanks to our newest patron, Brad. Thanks, Brad. You're the best. Um, also, this episode, uh, we are going to go through, like I said, it was a question that came through our email. Um, but we have done, like we've covered this topic a couple, maybe not in exactly the same way we're going to talk about this one. And sometimes it's nice to, you know, rehash things and get, you know, different or updated information out there. Uh, but we have done a couple episodes on, you know, making specs and what to look for for spec targets and stuff. And all of that is in our back catalog. So I would implore all of you guys to check our back catalog out. There's lots of really good episodes back there. Um, some great content. So if you're, you know, new to the channel and only listening to you know the newest episode that we put out every week maybe take a couple minutes and check out some of the older episodes like i said there's some really good stuff in there and i didn't tell you before the episode started but i downloaded all of the learn to play stuff from this summer and i started splicing it together oh man yeah i saw that yeah. i was like was i supposed to start doing that but you're doing it even better yep i started doing it uh yesterday i think i'm through like the I think I just finished the third episode, so I'm into the fourth episode now. There you go. Yeah, so I should have that together, I don't know, maybe in like a month or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it it's, takes like way more time <laughs> than I thought it was going to because I've got to like cut out all of the intros and the outros and also find a way to make them sound like coherent episode to episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, man. The, the, our our editor does does uh, the Lord's work over here. To say yeah, that, sure does. A saint, a real saint, <laughs> a real saint. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we kind of wanted to use this time to go over the Crimson Vow mechanics, so mm-hmm. that when we go and do our set review, we are uh, not gonna have the you know a four and a half hour episode it might just be a four hour episode yeah (laughs) hey man every little minute counts we can we can hope so there are dear god there are six mechanics in this set yeah i guess so and um we've got some returning mechanics from previous sets and then we've got some new mechanics so the first um, returning mechanic is uh, one from, was this? Cons. Uh, Con- no, it was Dragons, right? Oh, you're right. It was Dragons. Right. So it was Exploit. Yep. So this is an Enter the Battlefield ability that so far has only ever been on creatures? Uh, yes. Um, and... It comes into play and exploit lets you sacrifice a creature. It can be the creature that came into play. Yep. Any creature. And um, then you get an effect. Yep. So the when you, when the creature enters a battlefield, the exploit trigger goes on the stack and you don't sacrifice the creature until the exploit trigger resolves. Correct. I do believe so there is kind of a weird timing thing here where if you cast an exploit creature with only one other creature on the battlefield and your opponent kills your other thing, like your only choice is to sack the thing you cast, right? Yeah, or if you play your exploit creature and it's the only thing on the battlefield, they can kill it before you can sacrifice it. Yeah. Because the trigger goes on the stack, trigger resolves, you sacrifice something. Yep. Right. Um, so you can kind of use exploit creatures like spells, mm-hmm. right, where they come in on the battlefield and then they they sack themselves for whatever the effect is. Yep. So what was the, was it Selimgar Sorcerer? Uh Sadisi's Faithful was the one that I always played. Yes, that's it. It was a one mana 04. Yep. But it had exploit and it was unsummon. Yep. Bounce the thing. Yeah. So that card most of the time was just blue, play it, sacrifice it, return a creature to its owner's hand. Yep. So it got to be used like as a as a spell, as an unsummon, a sorcery speed yep. unsummon. But, you know, uh, that deck, that card got used a lot because it had like, there were creature synergies that like let you bring it back. So you got to basically rebuy a spell uh, later on in the game. Yeah. I mean, that deck had a whole lot of, I could do a whole episode on that deck. <laughs> yeah. That deck had a whole lot more going on. Actually, a lot of times it didn't sacrifice itself. It tagged like an Elvish Visionary or, you know, something else that let you gain an advantage from. Yeah. And like buy it back later. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. But basically you can think of the exploit creatures as either 
you know, hey, I'm going to get rid of this, like, fodder. Mm-hmm. Or I can use this this creature as a spell. Mm-hmm. There's one in the new set. Oh, what was it called? Is it Fels, Fels uh, Scorpion? Yeah, the Scorpion. Yeah, it, I forget what its name was. Uh, yeah, oh, cool. Felstinger. It's yep. two and a black for a 3-2 with Death Touch. And it has mm-hmm. Exploit. And it says when Felstinger, uh, Stinger exploits a creature, target player draws two cards and loses two life. So you yep. can think of this as a 3-2 Death Touch. Mm-hmm. A 3-2 Death Touch that sacrifices something else and draws you two cards. Yep. right? Or two and a black draw two, lose two. Yep. Right, so this card kind of has three modes. Mm-hmm. Right, so gives you a lot of flexibility and uh, is just an interesting mechanic that, like, plays well with, like, let's say you play a standard deck that has exp- uh, Decay Zombies. Oh, yeah, it plays awesome with Decay. Right, especially since, like, we talked about Decay Zombies were just tacked onto reasonable spells for no cost. Right. So then you just get fodder for your um for your exploit things. Yep. Uh let's stick with the returning mechanics first. So okay. then we have two mechanics that come from the last set. Mm-hmm. What's the first one? Uh we have uh Day Night. Which is kind of the revamped version of Transform, or not? I guess not revamped Transform, but the new take on werewolves. Um, so it's going to work just like it did in Midnight Hunt, where uh, what is it? You cast two or no spells, and it goes to night, and then two spells, and it goes to day. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So zero yeah. tonight, two today. Yes. Yep. And when you the first time somebody plays something with day night, it automatically turns it to day. So works yes. just the same as it did with midnight hunt. No changes there. Uh, but there are some new cards with day night in this set. Yeah. Again, they're mostly the, uh, in the werewolf tribe. Yep. Uh, and then, Oh, did you have anything else to add for? Day no, night? no, no. I was just going to say like, it feels like there's less of a focus on day night in this set. Oh, like, def- definitely. It feels like there's less um, just random things that care about day and night that aren't werewolves. Yeah. 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 The focus is definitely uh, seems like the vampire stuff this time around and much less the werewolf stuff. Yeah. And then uh, the other returning mechanic is disturb um, for the spirits, but it's a little bit different this time. We talked about it a little bit in the pre-show. Um, where before, you know, your creature would die and you would disturb it out of your graveyard and get a similar but different creature. Um, this time around, it seems like most of them come back as enchantments. Yes, they come back as are, like auras. Yeah, are there any that come back as creatures or are they just all come back as auras? I think they all come back as auras. I've not seen one that comes back as a creature. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Um, so yeah, you just you cast it out of your graveyard just like you did previously, except this time it's going to be an aura instead of another body. Other than that, it works exactly the same. Yeah, like probably worse for limited because you're not getting like two cards out of it. Right. Yeah. Typically, an aura is not like a whole card as far as you know constructing your limited decks concerned. 
Yeah. Um, because you need something to put it on, and then it's also vulnerable. Like when that thing dies, yeah, so, it goes away. Yeah, it's not going to be as good as they were last time around, but so, they are coming back. Yeah, so we have now three new mechanics for the set. We um, do. The first is blood tokens. Yeah, this the, is weird, right? Yeah, these are artifacts that are somewhere around like a clue, but. Um, you- I mean, they're not as good as a clue, though, right? Absolutely not. Yeah. They're not as good as a clue. So yeah. where a clue is, pay to draw a card. Um, these are pay one, sack it, and you discard a card, then draw a card, I do believe. Uh, the discard is part of the cost. It's part of the cost. So pay one, tap it, discard a card, and sacrifice it. Call okay. And draw a card. Okay, um, so these are like worse than a clue. Like they definitely have like different applications, right? Like you can fill your graveyard, right? You yeah. can, you know, if there's some sort of madness energy, they just printed, was it a rare or an uncommon? It's a rare. Whenever you discard a card, you make a 2-2 zombie. Yep. So like that enables... You know, that would it, uh, blood tokens would enable that. Mm-hmm. They also have a bunch of like, oh, when it, like, sack two blood tokens, do a thing. Yeah, a lot of the vampires in this set have some sort of either static or activated ability with blood tokens where you can use them for something besides the text on the blood token. Um, I know I mentioned earlier, I don't remember if it was in the pre show or if. It was when we were rambling and starting the show. But the um, Making Magic article mm-hmm. came out today. And they talked a little bit about the blood tokens. And I thought some of it was kind of interesting. Um, they kind of went through the process of how they like came up with the mechanic. And what they did was they, they kind of went back to look at some of the other like artifact tokens that we've had lately, like treasures, clues, food. And they see all of those things as, is a success, which I think for the most part's right. Right. Uh, food borders on busted, but it might just be because of like the MH two cards. Yeah. They decided to like throw food on. <clears throat> Like yeah. I think, well, or Oko, like Oko kind of broke food too, but <laughs> yeah, but like you know what, uh, Asmo, just yeah. being like the thing to do now. Asmo is like unplayable, but yeah. like you know, I think it's fine. But we've we've run into like before where they whenever they stick another resource system into Magic, yeah, they don't always properly cast it, uh, cost it. Yeah, and like that's kind of how they came up with the uh, the rummaging thing was they wanted it to be not as good as a clue, and they were also I guess trying to balance the ability on the blood token with like the things that wanted to make use of the blood token. Like they yeah. they wanted you to have to make a decision where you know is it better to rummage or is it better to use it on this vampire? Gotcha. They didn't want it to be like, clearly you always just sack it to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of like the reason I bring all of this up is because I had a question for you. Okay. 
so if we were to go back in time and approach a past magic set with 2021 fire design sensibilities would energy be a token instead of a counter that a player had hmm um they could probably do it like that i mean the if they made it a physical token that you had, they mm-hmm. probably wouldn't be giving you three of it at a time. Well, I mean, you could, you could track it the same way. You could, but what I'm saying is like, if they were like printing energy tokens, like clue tokens, right? They maybe a uh, whirler virtuoso would give you one energy or would give you like, two energy yeah as opposed to uh as opposed to three so you didn't have like piles and piles of energy well i mean like you really didn't there were certainly games where you like collected a bunch of energy and then never found a way to use it but if i'm remembering back correctly like the number of games where i just had like 20 energy laying around was they were pretty in, infrequent. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I'm I'm looking at it as more like maybe that fixed some of the costing, right? Where if you're giving out energy in ones and twos instead of threes, twos and threes. Yeah. So imagine if, oh gosh, uh, Rogue Refiner. Yeah. Instead of giving you ter- two thirds of a Thopter. Yeah. Only gave you half a Thopter. Oh, I gotcha. Right, so they might have been giving you less energy and as a result, like, fixed the the costing. Where, like, if a tune yeah. with Ether gave you, like, one energy, one energy instead of two. So, again, yeah. not two-thirds of a Thopter, but half a Thopter. Yeah. Right, because they don't want you to, they don't want you to ever get to 20 energy tokens piled up beside you. Right. But yeah, I mean, it could just be like, they could have just been like Ethereum cells. The So the other, well, I mean, Ethereum cells were basically treasure, but yes. Yeah, they, but they, they, they could have been, been called like Ethereum cells, right? Yeah. Or, or battery cells. Like you get one yeah. battery from this and like it's yeah. a physical thing. So the other thing that I was thinking was if they did this as an energy token, even like, I mean, it could literally do nothing. It could just be a zero cost token with no abilities that you just use for something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All that matters on that card is the name. Um, one of the big complaints with energy was that you couldn't interact with it. Yeah. If they made it a token, you can interact with it. You could blow it up or something. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know. could shatter storm or a braid one or whatever. Keep your opponent off of a, Marvel activation or whatever. Or, yeah, or just, you know, you could have a card that was, like, destroy all energy tokens. Yes. Like, like Energy Wrath yep. or something, yeah. right? Yep. So, you know, it would be called, like, Blackout or something. Hmm. Destroy all energy. Yeah, Brownout. Yeah, Brownout. Ro- something like rolling that. Blackouts. Rolling black. <laughs> like, California. Hey, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, if they were, if it was interactable, and they might like, I don't know how much of like making these tokens as like the extra resource is about like 
the tactile having the token. Yeah. Right. Like how much of they want you to have that physical thing on the, on the table with you. Yeah. On the table. He says when he hasn't played <laughs> magic on a table in like almost two years on a table. But yeah, like I don't know how much was like the tactile experience, but like they, yeah, they could easily go back and make, could have made energy something different. Yeah. Um. So I think, I don't know the lore, but just looking at things, I feel like blood tokens also like are instead of throwing flowers or rice, they like throw weird little vials of petals of filled with blood. Oh yeah, you think that's what it is? Mm-hmm. Like, cause some of them, like some of the pictures, some of the art, it looks like people are like throwing, throwing these things. Huh. Right, and there's yes, I like looked at the art that close. Uh, there's I gotta find one of the cards, and then there's like the card that like when it transforms, it like makes um, what does it make? It yeah. turns your blood tokens into like bats. Into bats, yeah. The Voldaren Bloodcaster. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of hard to tell if those yeah, the so, petals uh, but, or if they're blood. Yeah, but if you look yeah, at I mean, that the, might be. Well, if you look at the the bloodcaster, the I guess the alternate art that's yeah. on, right? Like she has what looks like like a basket of things, and they're like thrown as little. They look like hmm. little petals or something. Yeah, and like the picture is like a little vial, huh? Of blood. Yeah. So like them being a physical thing, kind of makes sense lore wise. Yeah. But yeah. The cards that use blood so far are not, um, don't seem like they're overpowered. Not yeah, I don't think any of them are. We, we are not in like a carry situation here. No. Um, one person got that reference. Thank you. Person. <laughs> uh, I got it. I'm sitting right here, you. man. Thank you. I appreciate it. So <laughs> let's do training next. We'll save my least favorite mechanic for the end. Uh, right. we'll do training. And training is reverse mentor. Oh, yeah. I hadn't really thought of that, but I guess it is, right? Right. So mentor, the bigger creature attacks and makes a smaller creature bigger. Yep. This is the creature with training. When it attacks with something bigger, it gets bigger. Right. So instead of putting the the ability to grow on the to grow something on the bigger creature, we've just put the ability to grow on the smaller creature. Yep. It's time to uh, become the student. Yes. Yes. So my first thought is usually when you have a mechanic like this that only works when you attack, mm -hmm. the uh, the limited format gets aggressive because like the for the this mechanic does not work unless the format's aggressive. Yeah. So. Which it's is also interesting that like this is kind of backwards mentor because this makes your small stuff scale like to the late game. Right. Yeah. It like grows it like, cause like you play a one, two and then you attack with like a one, two and a two, two. And yeah. now your, your one, two is now a, uh, a two, three and then you have a yeah. three, three and then it grows again. And so like, as you play bigger things, your, your creature is constantly going to grow. Mm -hmm. and kind of like take over the game so but yeah like 
it seems weird that like the um what's it called the previous set had the vampire mechanic that only cared about if you brought the beats right right and now they have a, a mechanic training that only cares if you're bringing the beats but they've separated them yeah <laughs> right so like in, in like opposing colors too right is there any yeah. training stuff that overlaps with i don't th- i think it's all green white yeah it appears to be all green white so like where you could have been like had like a an aggressive format where like you know it paid off people that liked being aggressive like the the aggressive decks in the last format felt like they only came together every so often Mm-hmm. Now I know other people thought the format was super aggressive, as I'm just like dirtling around playing like blue, black, and black, white, just grinding people to dust. <laughs> but like, it seems like weird that you'd be like, okay, you could put like the slow valuey, like I assume slow valuey, like blood token in the like slower set, and yeah. in the like, hey, deal damage to me, yeah, or to your opponent mechanic in the faster set, but. We will see. Now, the last mechanic is cleave. And there is... This is your favorite mechanic, right? Oh, God. It's it's so elegant. It's so well done. It doesn't feel forced at all. <laughs> um, so there's a joke in magic design that, like, every mechanic is simply kicker. Yeah. Right? Or almost every mechanic is kicker. Right? And kicker, as you know, is the cards like do a thing or pay a little bit more mana or a lot more mana and do a different or bigger thing. Right. Right. So it's an additional cost when you cast a spell. Yeah. So cleave. uh, So you have a spell. Let's go with lantern flare. Right. It's one and a white. And it says lantern flare deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker. And you gain X life. And then there is an open bracket that is X is the number of creatures you control, close bracket. Mm-hmm. Right. Above that, you have cleave X red white. And it says you may cast this spell for its cleave cost. If you do, remove the words in square brackets. <laughs> so it turns the card into. Red, white, X, deal X damage to target creature or planeswalker, you gain X life. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just kicker. Right? It, it is could, just kicker. It could be like, you know, they could have made it like pay, you know, red. Right? X X and red. Right? Mm-hmm. And now you can deal damage to, if you pay... X in red deal damage where X is equal to the uh, if, to to X, yeah. right? Or or something like that. Or yeah. there's uh, what is the dig up was the, the card up. that they spoiled cleave on, and it's yes. a single green mana for a sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. Or you can pay the cleave cost of one black, black, green, and you omit the basic land and reveal it part. So you search your library for any card, put it in your hand, then shuffle. Yeah, and like it's 
kicker just, could have just been one black black. Um, search your library for any card instead. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's just like I don't know what I. As you guys have picked up on, I usually am not super locked into like flavor and story. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going on on this plane that they can <laughs> justify. Well, you're you're cleaving your mind, or you're cleaving away from the rule yeah. of law, or whatever. What's like, it supposed to represent? What it's supposed to re- represent? Um, don't know. All I know it is it is like just lazy design. Yeah. It just feels like awful. Yeah. Now it does let them get away with like some, uh, some things where like where kicker costs would not be like super easy. Mm-hmm. Where like they made uh, they made a card that the uh, so alchemist gambit is one red red, but the cleave cost is four blue blue red. Yeah. Right. So that's not like a clean like kicker way to do things, right? Because it's usually the mana cost, and then you add something to it. Right. So like this, this is kind of changing it. This kind of changes it. Changes it. Yeah. yeah. So I would like it does give them some flexibility there, but I don't know if that flexibility is worth it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, most of these designs they could have just done with kicker. Yeah, and. And I, like realistically, even Alchemist Gambit, like you're not casting that card outside of a red blue deck, yeah. Right? It, basically, ever like you're you're not going to cast this in like a Grixis deck or a Jeskai deck or something. Yeah. So like realistically, you could have made the kicker just like three blue blue, or or two blue blue red red, or whatever. Yeah. Like it, by the time you have seven mana, you have two blue and two red pips. I'm sure. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. So it just yeah. feels, it feels like forced and kind of like hokey. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a, like, it feels like it was some sort of design that they were trying to shoehorn in for, like, perhaps flavor reasons. Right. But like you said, what's the flavor? What's the flavor? And, like, cool flavor, bro. But, like, now your gameplay is just awkward. Yeah. Right? Like, what is my... It's like, oh, like, I guess you can see it and it makes sense, like, reading Mm -hmm. it. But, like, it just feels... It feels off. So, So is this the arena mechanic for this set? Where it's like, obviously, this was for arena and not paper play? It might be. Like, I think blood tokens work in paper fine. We know exploit does. Yeah, this yeah. is like the what can't what can we do? Yeah, right. Because you do know, to push it a little bit. Because you know you're gonna get like the two options where they're gonna have different text on the card. You're gonna pick which one you want to cast. Yeah. Or they're gonna gray out the text in the brackets. Yeah. So like you're gonna see the two options. And you're like, oh, I want this one. Yeah, yeah, it does kind of feel like the arena mechanic. That is a good point. Yeah. So, all right. So those are our mechanics. When we talk about the set next week, you'll have a sense of the mechanics. Yeah. Little uh little primer. A little primer. Um you can tell me why Cleave is a is a triumph of game design. Uh I don't or know if, if you actually know what the flavor is, you can tell us yeah. that also. What, what is the flavor? <laughs> don't We're know. at a loss. So 
the rest of the pod, we're going to touch on a uh, some uh, finance uh, stuff. And we want to just like, we have a, a question from a viewer. We've got we've got some background into it. We've got like two questions, so we have some stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, this is a uh, Matt. He's one of our patrons and had sent an email asking a question. And like I said at the top of the show, we've kind of covered this stuff before. So if you're interested in this, like financy speculation, whatever, um, make sure you go back and check out some of those some of those other finance episodes because. Like I said, we've covered this uh, a few times, and there's some really good information that I'm sure we said in one of those episodes or multiple of them that we may or may not remember to touch on today. Yeah. So if that's content you're looking for, make sure you check some of that older stuff out. So Matt says that he is is a longtime casual player. I think he said he's been playing for like 20-ish years at this point and has kind of sold out and come back and sold out and come back a couple times. So his collection has, you know, expanded and shrunk a few times over the last 20 years. And he was currently cataloging his collection and was surprised at the value of some of the cards that were in there and is interested in, I guess the best way to put it is setting up so he can have future surprises like going through his collection and saying, oh, wow, this card's worth a lot of money now, and it didn't used to be. Yes. So the first part of the question is that he's looking for the best ways to maximize fun versus long-term value of the collection. Um, okay. says that they he likes to play limited, um, but also likes constructed and doesn't have a ton of money to spend all the time. So is there like a specific product that he should be buying or should it just be, you know, buying singles, I guess. Okay. And then like part, also has part of this question about like the difference between draft and set and collector boosters. Gotcha. So the the what should you be buying, right? Mm -hmm. Only one of those options, like, allows you to play a game with them, if this makes right. sense, right? Yes. Like, if you get a draft booster, mm -hmm. right, or a box of draft boosters, you have a certain number of drafts you can do out of them, right? You can have your friends come over and you can do a draft right, with them, or you have six sealed decks you can build and play. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, that's only an experience you can have with draft boosters. So in right. terms of like fun, if your fun is limited, right. And you're like, I'm willing to spend a hundred bucks to do, you know, a handful of seals with friends, right. You can only get that experience from a draft booster. Yeah, set boosters and collector boosters do not make for good limited environments. That's not what they're designed for. The distributions are wrong. Um, the decks will not be balanced. It's not good. So I would definitely not suggest trying to draft or play sealed with set or collector boosters. Um, that's what the draft booster is for. Right, so like, if you think about a draft booster, it's a rare three uncommons and then what 
uh, gosh, I should know this, 11 commons, 15 cards, or uh, yeah. 10 commons yeah. or something, right? Yeah. Um, uh, is it? Yeah, it's either 9 or 10. 9 if there's a foil, 10 if there's not. Okay. Um, and, like, the, like, a collector booster has, like, multiple rares, might only have yeah. a few uh, commons, and while you're like, oh, multiple rares is good, right? The commons are what, like, hold limited decks together, and that's where your archetypes are built. Right. Otherwise, you just end up with, like, a pile of what you hope are powerful, individually powerful cards, with mm -hmm. no synergy. Yeah. Um, and also in the, well, actually, I think it's in the collector boosters and the set boosters now, you can get the, like, commander exclusive cards. Mm-hmm that like aren't designed for limited play whatsoever and sometimes have completely different mechanics on them. Yeah. So, so. if in terms of like fun, mm -hmm. what you want to do is like the draft booster. Yeah. And we've gone back and forth on episodes and like, we're not sure where this falls is, um, uh, what is it called? is the fact that we don't know which is the best box to buy long-term. To sit on. Yeah. yeah, right, because right, the collector boosters have more foils and more alternate treatments and more quote-unquote high-end stuff. Yeah. Right? The set boosters, not as much high-end stuff, but they have more rares, more higher rarity things than a draft booster. Yeah, I want to say... You can go back and watch some of the box opening videos that I did and count, but I want to say like an average set box has between six and 10 rares more than a draft box does. And then the draft box, while it has less rares and less like premium treatments mm -hmm. is again, the only one you can play a game with. Right. Right. And well, a lot of, let's say, the value from an Innistrad box, an original Innistrad box, comes mm -hmm. from Snapcaster and Lily. Yeah. A lot of it comes from the ability to draft that set when yeah. you couldn't otherwise draft it. And that's not unique to just like original Innistrad, which I'm sure you picked out because it's, you know, one of the iconic, like mm -hmm. best limited formats there has been. Um, if you look at basically any box that is out of print, they, all right, there has to be a time limit on this somewhere because there are some, you know, boxes that aren't in print anymore that like just rotated out that I'm sure haven't appreciated yet. But of any box that has started to appreciate, um, they are all worth more than they were. There are no boxes currently that are worth less than what they were while they were in print. And there's like another metric that gets thrown in here, which is EV, the estimated value of what's going to be in that booster box. And, you know, you average up all the mythics and all the rares and all the uncommons and whatever. And you can come up with a number that you can like realistically hope to get somewhere around when you open that and then, you know, have a value for the cards inside. If you look at all of those sets that have started to appreciate, which again, it, there has not been 
as far as I know, there has not been a set that has not started to appreciate after it has gone out of print and like rotated out of standard and stuff. Um, if you go back and look at all of those, the EV is always less than what a sealed box costs. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. Um, number one is if the EV ever gets higher than the cost of a booster box, people will just open them and sell the cards out of them because it's free money. Number two is because the draft does hold some value. Um, and if you go back and look at sealed product prices, some of these boxes are worth significantly more than the EV, like, you know, 100% more, 200% more, 300% more than the EV of the box. And that comes from it being a desirable uh, limited environment. So there's a couple different parts to that equation. And um, that is why I, I'm still, like the boxes that I'm sitting on, I'm still buying draft boxes. I'm not buying set boxes to sit on. Like you said, I know that the, uh, you know, you can get some fancier treatments and stuff in set boxes and collector boxes, but I do think that the the value of the draft is something that is probably worth more than, you know, the couple extra rares you might get or, you know, the higher EV that a set box or a um, collector box would have. Um, so you're saying, like, almost every box is appreciated. My first thought was, how much is a box of Dragon's Maze? It's more than it was when it was in print, isn't it? Uh, they're about a hundred bucks. You can you can get one on eBay for uh, no, sorry. You can get get them for about a hundred dollars, a hundred to one hundred and twenty, yeah. which is more than they were. Uh, but you're saying that yeah, like it was like four price increases ago. So like back then, you could you know buy a box while it was in print for you know seventy five, eighty bucks. Yeah, they were they were super cheap. But yeah, yeah, like the I think there is, and again, like we've talked about, this is hard to do now. Because we don't have the value of like 20 years of hindsight on what collector boosters do. Yeah. Right. Um, like, I actually think that Rudy had just uploaded a video right before we started recording looking at how collector boosters are performing, but I haven't watched it yet. So, yeah. So, like, just from, you know, our, our, uh, you know, experiences, right? One thing that has made like it kind of makes the collector booster game a little hard mm -hmm. is so you think you have like the cool version of a card yeah right well then they come up with a secret layer right that has a cooler version that makes that like exclusive set booster version less desirable right, right. I, I we were talking that i had bought i bought two secret layers mm-hmm uh, one being the Thalia secret layer. Mm -hmm. And we've just printed Thalia in the standard with three different versions. Right. Right. So, you know, there are nine versions of Thalia. Mm -hmm. Right. And before, like, I had the, like, super exclusive one. Right. right? Perhaps, you know, the most desirable one, maybe, depending on who you ask. Right. Unless you get your hands on, like, the world championship ones. Right. Yep. And... Like, now there's a version of Thalia coming out in this new set that is, you know, really neat looking. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like, are my Thalia's now worth less? Right? Did I Pro make the probably. wrong... Yeah, did I make the wrong bet? 
So mm-hmm. like while you might be like, oh, my collector boosters are, you know, worth a lot because, you know, Schrodinger's card, it always has <laughs> it's always full of the most expensive card in the set until I right. open the packs. That's right. right. If the most expensive card in the set gets way cheaper, right, then your packs are going to get way your box is going to get way cheaper. Yeah. Right. So you know that especially when you you again you can't do something with them right if they started reprinting uh you know the con sh- uh, fetch lands into the ground mm-hmm. right and flooded strands were two dollars right con's boxes would still be pretty damn expensive yeah because that was an awesome limited environment yeah people are are like oh man i have a chance to do like a con draft yeah awesome i want to do that yep right while you know they like you know if they had collector boosters of cons it's like oh well this is gonna go you know this is gonna hurt those collector boosters because they're not as desirable and i mean i'm sure it hasn't hurt it hasn't helped the uh, price of a box that right we had the uh right was that the no that was zendikar that had the the fancy fetch lands yeah, it was Zendikar. Right. But like you're you're losing the the ability to play the game and mm-hmm. it's that's worth something. So oh, yeah. like long term right, the the value of that draft doesn't ever go down. Right? right. But the value of the cards can. Mm-hmm. For sure. And right, I've never played in Estrada Limited, but like, I've heard people talk about it in hushed tones. Oh man, <laughs> Innistrad Limited was the best. So like, you know, maybe if there was a box of Innistrad floating around, right, I'd be like, oh, I'd be willing to spend $50 or $70 or whatever it is to do like an Innistrad draft. Yeah. To okay. try it out, see what it's like once. Yeah. Right. And you don't get that from like, yeah, I'll crack a collector's booster. You yeah. don't get that same that same feeling. Right. So if, and like again, like if you if you crack a collector booster, that's it might be fun to like open it up and see what you got or whatever, but like that fun is very short lived. Like how long does it take you to open a pack? Like a minute, two minutes tops if you're like really savoring it. Whereas a draft, like you're gonna be busy all night. You got, you know, an hour for your draft and then, you know, you got seven of your friends around and at least three or four rounds to get through everybody. And, you know, you, by the time you're all done, you, you had a fun night with your buddies and yeah, that's definitely worth more than, you know, a collector booster. Yeah. So in terms of like, if you're going to buy something and put it on the shelf, I think it's probably still draft boosters. Yeah, I think so. I think that's kind of the conclusion that I've come to. Like I said, I I haven't started sitting on set boosters or collector boosters yet. Right. And then the question of like, do you buy singles if you're trying to, you know, set up your collection for like a cool, like a cool surprise later on? We're like, oh, this is worth way more than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So like, that that's kind of like the whole next portion okay. of the question. So one more thing that I wanted to add in here is that like everything has a trade-off, right? So 
if you're looking for just value versus just having fun, like that's kind of easy to uh, like figure out. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to open, um, I don't know, Eternal Masters because, you know, I can open some super expensive cards in there even though maybe the draft format isn't fantastic. Or I can open a box of cons because the draft format's fantastic and, you know, there's a couple expensive cards in there, but most of the set's not worth anything. Um, there's obviously a trade-off there where it kind of... Like you, most sets are in the middle somewhere where the draft environment's okay or the draft environment's decent or the draft environment's not terrible. And then your value is also, you know, either not great or okay or just whatever in the middle. Like there's always a trade off there. And like it's hard for somebody on the outside to tell you what the best use of your money is. You know what I mean? Like yeah. as far as which which like if you were gonna pick one product, say say you're gonna buy a box of what's currently in print right now. Do you buy Zendikar, Kaldheim, Strixhaven, Forgotten Realms, or Midnight Hunt? And I mean, other than Forgotten Realms, because that's not my jam, I think there's reasons to buy any of those. Yeah, and I mean, like you said Forgotten Realms is not your jam. True. Yeah. Right. But it also has, like, reasons you could buy it. Like, oh, hey, like, what if in, like, seven years this comes up on, like, the D&D subreddit? Yeah. And it's a thing people want to do mm -hmm. that are into D&D, &D, right? And you're like, oh, man, I have this, like, box. So you're right. It is hard to, like, which one do you, like, buy? Like, which one, like, is more appealing to you as yeah. the person buying it? Because on one hand, you're like, on one hand, you are buying it to maybe sit on your shelf for like six years and then you hope to come back to it and be like, oh, this box is worth $500. Yeah. And it's one of those things that like almost any box can do that on some level. Right. right. Like, because what if, you know, what if a Sarak ends up being the best deck in Modern and Legacy? Mm -hmm. Right, the Seracs are a hundred dollars a piece. They're I mean, they're climbing. Have you looked at them lately? <laughs> I have. I have not. Are they going up? Yeah. I should have bought more than the four I bought. Well, I didn't even buy the four, so <laughs> they they were they were like ten bucks a piece when I bought them. Yeah, I think they're fifteen or seventeen now. Whew. When you, uh, I was reading the show notes and you said a card was twenty bucks. I was like, do I have any of those? It's like, oh. <laughs> uh, but right, like. So maybe a Sarak is like drives the price of an entire box, right? Yeah. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I really think that the the Zendikar alternate arts are going to be something that'll be valuable. Or yeah. like maybe you just really like the Zendikar um, draft format, and you're like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'll buy this, and maybe in a few years I'll play this draft format again, right. and then I can sell the cards out of it and kind of get like you know, a two for one, get my draft in and maybe turn a profit because Skyclave apparitions are $45 a piece now. Yeah. Um, so I th there's like one more part to this that I don't think we've hit on super good yet. Okay. And I'm going to bring that up now and then we're going to move on. 
Um, I think what Matt's looking for is like rules of thumb as far as like approaching a set release goes. And I don't think there are any rules of thumb anymore because wizards keeps changing their mind. Like every set is different and it's really hard to compare them to each other because they're so different. And the one way that directly impacts what we're talking about now is with these like bonus cards or like alternate includes or whatever, like Zendikar had box toppers in it, right? So if you're going to buy a box of Zendikar, you have to keep in the back of your mind that, oh yeah, in this box, there is a box topper that could be a scalding tarn or it could be um, a pathway. You know what I mean? There's it, I guess the pathways weren't part of the expeditions, but you know, it could be, you know, a very expensive scalding tarn or it could be nothing. Or you have Strixhaven where you had the mystical archive where you could open a demonic tutor in a pack, or you could, you know, get faithless looting that you can't play anywhere because it's banned. Yeah. Um, like those kind of bonus cards are worth something as well. But you, again, like it makes it hard to compare them because, yeah, in Strixhaven, you get one of those in every pack, whereas Zendikar, you just get one in the box versus Keldheim that didn't have any. Yeah, so it's very, um, right, for like 20 years, the a set was released and they were released the exact same way. Yep. And you could compare what, you know what you would expect a set to do based on how many cards were in it f- were in modern, how many were in standard, how many found their way to legacy. Okay, like I have a, I have a sense of what this set is going to be worth. And yep. then and we the, were... the treatments were the same for every box. Also, yeah, you had you know a one in seven chance of there being a foil, and that was it. You got regular cards, and sometimes you got a foil. Yeah, and. Then, like with uh, the expeditions from the from Return to Zendikar or whatever it was, Battle yep. for Zendikar, BFC. right? BFC, right? It was like they were like, "Oh, we're gonna do these like lottery cards in every set going forward," right? And that was three sets, four sets, three sets, three, three sets. S- well, I guess four. Well, I actually, three, I guess five. Three blocks. Yeah, three blocks. Right. So it was the. Uh, Battle for Zendikar block. Yep. And then... Keldheim. Uh, Keldheim. Not Keldheim. Kaladesh. Uh, yeah, sorry. Kaladesh. And then Amonkhet. And yep. they messed up the Amonkhet ones and they were like, we're out. Yep, we're done. We're not going to do this anymore. Right. In six months, they could be like, yeah, collector boosters don't sell very well. Right. Not that that has been the case so far, but they, maybe that happens. Yeah. Right. And now we're like, and they're like, we're not going to do these anymore. And then it totally throws on, on its head what these packs are worth. Right. Right. Like what future sets are worth. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's hard to make rules of thumb because like, I feel like we had a pretty good system before in terms of sealed product. And then we're going to talk about singles. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, you could be sitting on the most valuable card from a set 
in the most valuable printing and then they throw it on the list in a secret layer and then in a in a, a jump start all in the span yep. of like nine months and your card went from being forty dollars to five yeah and you're just like i didn't do anything wrong right i did exactly what i was supposed to do yep and i got got yeah well i mean look at what happened with thought sees yeah yeah we we both jumped on like like forty five to fifty dollar foil full art puzzle piece thought seizes. Yep. That are gorgeous. Yeah, they're great. And then they went down to like twenty five bucks, so we totally got rinsed. Yep. <laughs> and be- and they printed like three other versions of Thoughtseas. And they printed an arguably better version. I mean I, I like the, you know, beautiful shiny puzzle piece thought seizes, but they have original art, old border thought seizes now. <laughs> yeah, which those are the thought seizes in my depth deck. Yeah. When I unfoiled it, I was like, I'll just get these. Yeah. And those are like 15 bucks. Yeah. Um, So it just it's just way harder now. The game has changed both on yeah. both on the battlefield and like in the in the boardroom. Right, it has it <laughs> has co- changed the collector space, the, the collector the meta space. meta, the meta meta. Yes. So okay, so we kind of let into this like, so if you have so I uh, was it Matt, yes Matt yeah. said that like hey I got like a hundred bucks to spend every set on singles, yeah, and I want to like you know spec I want to find stuff that I think will be valuable down the road, yeah, right because you know we I think we all enjoy as much as like you know. It's cool to like buy the quarter card and it be fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. You also feel pretty pretty smart when you buy the quarter card and it becomes five bucks, right? Right, right. So, what are you looking for, or what should Matt be looking for when he goes to buy singles from a new set? Yep. And then specifically for a spec, I believe I believe this section is, if I'm understanding the correct the question correctly, it's I have a hundred dollars to spec on this set. So yes. not necessarily playables, just I have $100 to surprise myself with at some point in the future. What do I buy? Yeah. And so, like, he he brought up that, that you know, rare lands are good. Or, you mm-hmm. know, the fact that I mentioned, that, like, hey, play with fire is a better shock and fading hope is a better unsummon. Yep. And, you know, someone said that you can cast any of the, you, you may have any number of these in your deck cards go up. Yes. Yeah. They do. Uh I feel like those kind of start high, though. Like they, they might not do. be a great spec because they start high. They um, do. The, was it Dragon's Approach was in Strixhaven or whatever? Yeah, and it was like two dollars like, or something to start it, with. It, it, it's like three dollars now, and you can like you can still buy Strixhaven all over the place. Yeah, like there, there's no reason why that card should be three dollars right now, and I don't think that's a great spec. Because it started high, like it, it's different when you look at Shadowborn Apostles, um, which is the original one that you could have, you know, as many in your deck of. Yeah, a couple, th- a couple reasons for that. Number one is I don't think when Shadowborn Apostles came out, like Commander was as big as it is now, and that's the reason for like all of these. You can have as many in your deck as for Commander. So yes. when Shadowborn Apostles was came out commander wasn't as big as it is now um and like that card's pretty narrow now and the print run was super low 
um, all of that is different than now. Um, arguably, like when a set comes out, prices are almost exclusively commander driven because there's no events. Like, yeah. I'm sure people are buying cards to play with their friends or whatever, but there's no big tournaments driving the prices of singles. There hasn't been for two years, and we don't have any like guess as to when there will be big tournaments driving the price of singles again. So I think really the only thing you have to look at is commander prices drive driving the price of singles. And like those are the cards that commander players are going to drive the price up of, which means I think those cards start higher and there's not really a good place to jump in when they're cheap. Yeah. And he also mentions things like green Zenus, which I just saw how much green Zenus were. Mm-hmm. At twenty five dollars a pop, nice. I should. I bought mine at five, like yeah, years ago. I think I bought mine at five, also. Yeah. Um. And he's like, in general, like tutors. And again, tutors mm-hmm. are a commander thing, right? Because commander players right. need their hundred card inconsistent deck to do right. the thing that they build it to do. Yeah. So. Um. Cards like um. Play with fire and fading hope because they're like uncommons it's often mm-hmm. hard for them to get like a bump uh or like be worth a lot right, right? so there was like a brief moment in history that wild slash which was like the strictly better shock right was like five bucks and this was like Five or six years after con after uh, was that it was from Fate Reforged, yeah. I think after Fate Reforged came out, and it went into like the burn decks in Pioneer. So you had this like confluence of an uncommon from small an, set, a small set, and a brand a, new format driving uh, prices of it. Yeah, and so like I don't know if you know, play with fire ever has in its like range of being $5. Or- yeah. I think for these strictly better cards, I think that it's prudent to look at the value of the card that it's strictly better than if that makes sense. Yeah. If you're replacing that card, yeah, like you, you like that card effectively goes to zero and this card slots in for its price yeah. to some degree. Right. Because, you know, well, we're not playing shocks anymore. We're playing something better. So now I'm willing to, I have to trade my dollar shock for a dollar play with fire. Yeah. Kind of deal. Like play with fire is not going to be like $7. Now, if in 10 years, right. Uh, play with fires become, uh, there's a brand new format that you know is only fire design so starts with throne of eldraine yeah it's fire design forward it's the fire format right play with fire might be the best version of that card yeah and then it could go up Mm -hmm. now i think that at the rare slot right if they you know if they print a a a hero's downfall that also has draw a card on it Oh boy, I'm in. Right? Right? That card's got to see play way back. Right? Yeah. Like that card could go up as like the strictly better 
hero's downfall. Yep. But like, especially the uncommons, it's hard because a lot of times, one, those cards are people know they're good. So mm-hmm. they, you don't get the like, this uncommon is like a quarter. Right. Like point. Just like think about Fatal Push. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say was Fatal Push. Fatal like, Push was $10 when it was in standard. Yeah. For an uncommon, I remember selling them for $10 at like uh, an event because I'm like, I have six of these. I should have yeah. four. Like, why am I holding on to a $10 uncommon? And the other yeah. thing is, it's an uncommon. It's, they're not that hard to reprint. Yeah. I mean, it's already been reprinted three Twice? times. Two or three times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was an F&M promo. And it was, and it was uh, um, a box topper right or border yeah. list whatever yeah um so right the strictly better cards are hard the uncommons are hard it's rare that like an uncommon really kind of like goes off yeah especially today yes with and it, this kind of ties back to the first point where like there's so many versions of everything and we have so many products to pick from like any given common or uncommon there's just foil copies of it all over the place in a collector box. Like there's no non-foil commons or uncommons in a collector booster. So any commons or uncommons you opening are going to be foil, which, you know, puts the supply of X common or uncommon way higher than it used to be. And especially like the foil versions, uh, same thing goes with set boosters it's more products that are being opened and that means there's more out there, which keeps the cost down. Yeah. There's, there is one good thing that uh, he had mentioned of like the cards that are mechanically unique. Yeah. Because they become hard to print in other sets. The like my go-to for this was through the breach. Mm -hmm. So for years, through the breach, it's four and a red. Put a creature from your hand onto the battlefield. It's an instant. Uh, it gets haste, and you can you sack it at the end of the turn. Yep. Beginning of the next end step, right? But it had splice into arcane or onto arcane right. on it, right? So it for the longest time just wasn't a card you could just print in a random master set. Yeah. Because Right, you need to support Arcane to have this card in there, mm-hmm. and then they just were kind of like, "Yeah, no, you don't," and they reprinted it yeah. a couple times. Yep, yeah. and now it's worth nothing. Yeah, it was like fifty dollars for the longest time. Yeah, I mean, it was to the point where I couldn't afford to build a through the breach deck because they were so expensive. Yeah, and now it's just like, oh yeah, that's not a big deal. So there is definitely value in mechanically unique cards uh like the one like the one uh, you have here that made me go through my binder real quick yeah the ozolith um i don't know like some of you longtime listeners probably remember me singing the praises of ozolith and saying how you know if if they ever go below five dollars you should pick up every copy you find and they were for a little while they were hovering right around five bucks i hope you know some of you guys picked them up because they're like 20 bucks now and that card is very unique. It has an ability that like no other card does. 
So it is the only card that does its thing. And it's hard to reprint. Like the Azalith refers to a specific thing on Ikoria. It's you can't just throw it in every set. And kind of like your uh arcane thing, like you can't just put this in a set that doesn't have some sort of support for counters. Like yeah. even if they came out and did a master's set, they would have to pick mechanics for that master's set that you know reinforce having counters on creatures. Otherwise the Azalith does nothing. Yeah, so right, the the cards that are the only version of this card, right? The only thing that does this mm-hmm. are are good things to look at. Yeah. But often, like, right, you're looking for the thing that is, like, cheap that has upside. Like, from the new set coming out, where is it at? Necro Duality. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's three and a blue for uh, an enchantment that whenever a non-token zombie enters the battlefield under your control create a token that's a copy of that creature this is the only card that does this uh kind of for for zombies i know there's one that's on cast there's that uh cleaving zombie that was yeah it was in one of the commander decks like last set i think that's a activated ability to like make a copy of one of your zombies okay i mean it's different but it's similar yeah, but like so like that's a card that you could like pick to uh uh that like you could get and yeah. be like okay, this is a card that kind of only does this thing. Right. And um you know, is not a card that could be easily reprinted. Yeah, but, I mean the necro duality might actually be a decent spec because if you think back to like and this kind of leads into my the next point I was going to make was I'll make the point first and then we'll come back to necro duality. Um, a card that you're specking on should ideally see play in like two formats, like one of the normal constructed formats and commander. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, commander is what drives prices nowadays. And if a card sees play in commander and is also being played in one of the like competitive constructed formats. Um, that makes demand for that card a lot higher, which can affect prices. Now going back to necro duality, if you think about some of the cards that we've had in the last few years that kind of fit this template, we have smothering tithe, which was a four mana enchantment that did something kind of unique, obviously geared towards commander play. Um, that card was worth very, very little while it was, you know, being opened in booster packs. And now I want to say they're like 22 bucks or 25 bucks or something like that. Yeah, they're, they're um, a lot. Yeah. Same goes for um, uh, you. You went low. They are uh, $32. Whew. Yeah, I should probably come off with some of my smothering tides. I you have should. a whole bunch of them. Yeah, it's go time. Yeah. Um, also, another card that kind of fits this mold is, was it Anointed Procession? Yes. That, was it double, does that one double your token or does that one make the angels? That doubles your uh, your tokens. Yeah. And then the other one that makes the angels, uh, was it Divine Visitation or something? Yes. Um, 
like all of those cards kind of have a similar format where it's a kind of expensive like do nothing enchantment that's like obvious for edh play um if they're cheap you should pick them up i guess like they they kind of do their own thing different from like other cards that there's no clear analog to other cards they only have one printing and you know obviously edh is driving the prices of them but yeah and you know a four mana do nothing enchantment typically isn't good for the 60 card constructed formats but they're made specifically to be good in the 100 card formats yeah so like necro duality fits that bill quite nicely Mm -hmm. right i think that like something that has changed in specking it was i feel like a lot of times it was ooh, this card has a chance to see play in modern yeah or has a chance to see play in legacy and a combination of you know again those those formats not being uh played as played as much in paper Mm -hmm. and the influence of the modern horizon sets yeah right like basically have like pushed every card that's not from a modern horizon set out of the format. Yeah. So, right. It's way harder to find those cards that are going to be like in standard or in like older formats. Mm -hmm. It's way easier to identify like, Oh, Hey, this might be a card that goes into commander. Cause we all look at a card and go like, Oh, that's commander card. Mm-hmm. right You're like no one's ever gonna play that yep and like hallowed haunting oh yeah 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 yeah. what does that one do that's the whatever enchantment uh, comes into play two and white something. white enchantment if you have seven or more enchantments creatures you control have flying and vigilance whenever you cast an enchantment spell create a white spirit cleric creature token with this creature's power and toughness are equal to the number of spirits you control yeah like that is like a clear, I want to play this in um, in Commando. Deck. Yeah, in a spirit yeah. deck. Yeah. Right? Like, that's just like Chef's Kiss. Perfect. Yeah. Right? Never going to see playing in standard. Right. So, like, that might be a card that you can get relatively cheap. Is it a, oh, it is a mythic. So, probably. It's a not, mythic, yeah. Probably not super cheap, but. Right, but well, I don't know. I mean, look at like Midnight Hunt and Adventures in Forgotten Realms. Like Mythics weren't super expensive out of these two sets. True, true. Um, Other than like Meat Hook Massacre and Red and Seven, but like the rest of them weren't that expensive. Like even the adversaries. Most of the adversaries, you know, we thought were going to be powerhouses, and like they're not. The green, like, like the bucks. green ones, like a one or a two of in like the mono green deck. The white one is a couple bucks. Yeah. They're not really doing anything. So, yeah. you know, you definitely, uh, so it is a different game in terms of like, where, where do you, what do you want to look at? It is still those unique effects, but I do think it's more like the unique effects in commander. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't so, know. Is, what, what is the, from the last set? It's not good. Uh, okay but it's it's the whatever you gain a life like you you note your life total and if you have a higher life total you like draw a card and re-note your life total yeah right like that card i'm 
willing to bet is really cheap. Uh, yeah, it's it is cheap, right? And like, and so that's what he said. there's not another card that does that, right? Now it's not nearly as powerful as like Smothering Tithe. I mean, there kind of is though. There is. What's, um, yeah. Um, it was like a white enchantment oh. that made soldiers, and then you could pay a couple mana to draw a card. Oh, you oh, oh, life. Oh, 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 it is. Oh gosh. Yeah, I know it is from. Like, I mean, it's not exactly guilds. the same thing, but it's kind of close. From from guilds. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Oh gosh, what was that card? It was one in the light, and you pay four draw a card. Oh. What yeah, but you could only activate it if you, when gain you life. gained life. Yeah. Yeah. But like a card like that, where you're like, oh, maybe, maybe that'll do something. Yeah. Right. But there's also like you know. Much like our earlier discussion on like crypto, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you buy the quarter card, yeah, because you're like, well, if this goes bad, I can sell it for bulk for ten cents a piece. Right. I'm only out fifteen cents. Yep. Right. So some of these have to be like afraid, not afraid to like lose on, or just like mm-hmm. I'm going to sit on this forever, and then when I'm like sixty and sorting cards, uh, <laughs> I'll be like, oh. Hey, that's worth a lot of money now. Hey, great. look, I found 200 Bloodbraid Elves. Yeah, great. Oh, gosh, I forget what I got for all those Bloodbraid Elves. It was a great time. Yeah. Sold so many of them. Yeah. Right. I mean, even stuff like we used to talk about, like, hey, like, what are the, like, cards that are banned in modern that could, like, maybe get unbanned? Mm-hmm. And I don't even think that that's, like, a uh, a reasonable discussion anymore. No. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Also, Splitter Twin, playable in no formats. $10 a pop. (laughs) Oh, Splitter Twin. $10 a pop for Splitter Twins. Amazing. Yep. Um, Yeah, so, like we said before, the game has changed in terms of of this. But if if you have identified a card, and you're like, hey, this is this is a card that I think is going to go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that they that Brian Gottlieb talks about on the Arena Necklace podcast, as mm-hmm. he tries to like grasp with like his version of specking. He's like, <laughs> buy the most expensive version in foil. Yeah, like those are the cards that typically hold their value. Yep. Right. If the card's playable, yeah. If the card's playable, if like you know. If you decide that, you know, whatever, that necro-duality is, like, the card that you're, like, banking on, right? Yep. Right? The the card that is going to have the most value is going to be the full art foil. Yep. Right? The pimpiest. The pimpiest of the pimp card is going to be that one. Yep. And, right, you just have to, like, if you, like, believe in the spec... You're like, all right, like I've got a hundred dollar budget. I guess I get to get three of these. Yeah. Right. Like I still, again, like in my head, I still like the idea of like the dollar card that becomes the ten dollar card. Yes. As opposed to the thirty dollar card that becomes the fifty dollar card. One hundred percent. Right. Because like there's just way less downside on the dollar card or the fifty cent card. Yep. Right. It's. Those are like all upside. Yeah. So I think before we wrap this up, 
the last part of this question is it is a question, but I'm kind of break. I, I want to break it down into two parts. Yeah. Um, the last part of this question is if you were to have a checklist of card attributes to assess new cards against to see what they're worth, like specking on, what would be on the list? And like, I don't think this question has an answer for all of the reasons that we already said, like everything changes all the time. Um, you never know which version of the card is going to be the right one or the wrong one. And like, nothing's consistent between sets. Like, I don't think that there is a checklist that you can go down and say, Oh, this checks four of five boxes. I'm going to buy this because there's way too many variables and the targets are changing. So I don't think that's a great question. Um, hopefully in this episode, we've kind of outlined what sorts of things can lead you to make the correct decisions. But I don't think that there's like an actual checklist that you can say, oh yeah, Necro Duality is the perfect spec for this set and because it checks all of the boxes. Mm -hmm. um, because of that, like uh, Matt had given us some different things that he thought would you know, be these like check marks on a checklist card. And I just wanted to run through them real quick. We already talked about like the strictly better cards and how like maybe that's something you can look at for rares, but like specking on play with fire just because it's better than shock. I don't think is going to get you anywhere. Um, one of the ones that we kind of skipped right over was the rare lands. Um, he mentioned rare lands, somebody, you know, mentioning at some point that rare lands are a good spec and I kind of want to elaborate on this just a little bit. Um, I don't know that rare lands are necessarily always a good spec. Um, I'm looking at you, Theros temples. Yeah. Like, like Theros temples were great when they were in Theros. Like they were awesome for that format and they were playable last time they were printed, but they never saw play in any other formats and they've been reprinted twice. I think since, Theros and they're not worth anything like they're they're bulk rares at this point um so I don't think rare lands are necessarily always a great spec target however if you can pick up rare lands like early in a set's life cycle and get use out of them rare lands are a great thing to pick up to have in your collection while you're playing that format because that's typically like the hardest part of moving between decks is having the mana bases. And if you can pick up all the rare lands, it makes it a lot easier to move between decks like week to week as you're making changes, as the meta changes, whatever. Um, that's where I would look to pick up rare lands, not necessarily as a spec target. Yeah. Yeah. Although, like like, there are exceptions to that too, though. Like the, uh, the Acoria uh, lands, were kind of cheap while they were in standard and they're like a commander staple now and are worth a bazillion dollars, especially the comic book foil ones. Yeah. And like you had mentioned like the, uh, what are they called? Uh, the, Oh gosh, I can't, I'm like looking right at the Kaladesh fast lands. Yeah. Right? The, the old fast lands were played a lot. So yeah. it stands to, stood to reason that the, new ones would be played a lot. Yep. 
So. And they are. Yes. And but then, like their prices, uh, like other than Spire Bluff Canal, their prices aren't super high. Yes, I mean some of the foils are kind of spendy. Yeah, the Spire Bluff Canal, the foils. I don't know if I got rid of mine. The the foil a market price is fifty six dollars. Wow. The the buy list price is thirty four. Holy moly! Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other like check marks that Matt had had was tutors and specifically called out like green sun Zenith. Um, I have a hard time like using just generic tutors as a spec target. Yeah. I mean, you got kind of lucky that you had green sun Zenith in your collection and they are a very good tutor and they are worth money. But a lot of the tutors that they print, um, like wizards knows how powerful tutors are. So, they don't print good ones on purpose, if that makes sense. Um, and really, tutors only see play in EDH. It, there's some you know, outliers that see play in combo decks, but for the most part, tutors have value because of EDH. And it's really hard to print better tutors than we already have in EDH. Yeah, like, than the old not ones. Gonna, yeah, you're not going to print a card that's better than Demonic Tutor or Vampiric Tutor or like the Mirage tutors in order for you to have a, yeah. In order for you to have a format where that card is okay. Like that format has to be so high powered. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So I think tutors are kind of risky. Um, I mean, you might get lucky and find, you know, a tutor that has like a random, like fringy home, but I don't, what was uh, the uh, the Ixalan one? Mastermind's acquisition, acquisition or whatever. Yeah. Like that card was fine, but like it's not really playable anywhere. Yeah. I don't, if you specced on them, I think you'd be sad. Yes. Like okay, they were really high in standard because they were played a lot, but they're, they just don't work for other formats. Yeah. And then like the last check mark is like tribal cards. Um, Matt had mentioned like Cavern of Souls or Urza's Incubator. Mm -hmm. And I think that we kind of like talking about these, like tribal cards are always kind of hot, but the two that he specifically called out are like tribal tribal where they fit in every tribal deck. And that may be something that you can spec on a little bit. Um, a recent example that I can think of is like Vanquisher's Banner. Oh, I was thinking like Pyre of Heroes. Oh, yeah, that's a good one because that, that's like currently in print and not really worth a whole lot. Yeah, so they are 82 cents for the regular printing. Yeah, so that, that might actually be a decent spec. Um, but Vanquisher's Banner like was cheap when it was in standard and now is no longer cheap. Um, they're, they're kind of expensive. And again, that's a card that only sees play in tribal EDH decks. So one of those check marks that I'm going to give you is sees EDH play. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing that I want to be careful about when talking about tribal cards is kind of this new era of design where Wizards lately has been printing themed everything. Like we get themed secret layers and themed master sets 
in themed commander decks. And all that has to happen is one of these themes needs to hit your theme and catch a reprint. And then your spec is garbage. Like we had, uh, the last master set we had was like graveyard themed. And I mean, you could pick up reanimates for almost nothing and in tomes super cheap because they were reprinted, you know, in a set that like outpaced the demand for the card and they got really cheap. So if you're, I don't know, specking on Urza's incubator and all of a sudden it gets thrown in a commander deck because it's a tribal tribal deck, then, you know, you, your spec didn't do so hot. Yeah. And that's what, like I was saying, like you can do everything right. You can check all the boxes and like, you know, when, when Mara goes to the top of the building and shakes the box and all the cards fall down and your spec ends up face up. Right. And they're like, all right, we're going to print 3 million of these. And you're just like, Oh, well, I guess I got, got, I didn't, I did everything right. Right. And, like, the other thing is, like, just, like, getting off of them in time. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to know when to get off of them, which also makes it, like, that might, that's a whole other thing that I hadn't even thought of is, like, you setting yourself up for future surprises when you're cataloging your hypothetical collection five years from now is definitely the wrong way to spec. Because yeah. the chances of you picking the correct spec are difficult enough like it it's not you don't have a great chance of picking the right spec if you do happen to catch a good spec like timing is everything you gotta you gotta sell that thing off when the timing is right for you just to pick like an arbitrary date in the future like randomly and say oh i'm gonna look at my cards today even if you're not planning it but like in the future just say oh i'm gonna look at my cards today and see what's worth anything i mean you very well could have missed the high of the highs. The card caught a reprint and the day you look at it, it'd be worth absolutely nothing. Yeah. I mean, I uh, was all excited about selling my Lotus petals and they're like a hundred dollars less than they were when I was like, Oh, I should get off of those. Yeah. And that's only been like over the course of like six weeks. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, that's that's no yeah, fun. So for you to, you know, throw that dart at a calendar five, six years from now, you kind of yeah. got to be in tune to these th- things yeah. to, to do decent on them. Yeah, it is. It is not easy, which is yep. unfortunate, like, because it's just hard because, like, the market's fickle and just. Yeah. Um. You don't know, like, it used to be that you were fairly confident that things weren't going to get reprinted. And that Yeah, I mean, you had, like, an every other year master set, and that was it. Yeah, and now, like, they're reprinting stuff all the times. All the times. All the time. So, like, it's, it's harder to... To like make that bet of like, oh hey, my cards are gonna go up in value. Yeah. So um, well, think about like wasteland. Yeah. Like how expensive was wasteland when we were buying into uh legacy? Eighty dollars? Yeah, eighty, hundred dollars, whatever. How many printings of wasteland 
are there right now, do you think? A ton. I actually have two foil ones coming because I bought a secret layer a million years ago and they finally got around to printing it. Yeah. So they were in Tempest, Zendikar Expeditions, Eternal Masters, Zendikar Rising Expeditions, and the Secret Lair. So they've been reprinted four times since the original printing. Yeah, so it's just like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Yep. Right, because that card was a card that they just were never printing. And they're just like, oh, we can print it whenever we want now. Right? So... That card was eighty dollars for, you know, a million year old uncommon, or like yep. think of Force of Will. Yeah, like Force of Will was like a hundred dollars. Uh, I mean, it still is. Is it still a hundred dollars? It's like eighty something. Yeah, and I think okay. that's about what I paid for mine way back when. But wow. I mean, that's only ever been at Mythic. Yeah, but like it just. Like, if you bought Force of Wills and you're like, oh, this card's going to go to $300, right? Yeah. They just started printing it, and now it is just not a card that you can, like... Yeah, just uh, wait for Secret Lair Force of Will. Yeah, and they just do a bunch of different Force of Wills. There's four versions of Force of Will. We're going to charge you 80 bucks. Um, on Card Kingdom, the buy the buy list price on the original Force of Will is seventy dollars. Yeah, credit for ninety one. The Force of Will box topper mm-hmm. is one forty for the buy mm-hmm. buy list price. The foil is two twenty eight. Yeah. So, oh, do they not have the? Where's the other one at? Oh, here we go. So. We knew someone who spent $900 a piece on Judge Foil Force of Wills. Yeah, who was that? Uh, what was his name? He played, uh, gosh, what was his name? He played um, a foiled out um, Miracles list. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't Nick. think of what his Nick, yes. Yep, yep. Uh, and right now they buy lists for four and a quarter. Yeah. Right. So there was only one foil printing of that card when he bought it. Right. And it was super limited, like judge foil. You had to be a judge to get one. Right. And now they're over half. They've lost over half their value. Yep. Right. So like if he bought those cards and was like, well, college fund is figured out right yep. I mean we also had the uh, uh, remember when uh, our store owner wouldn't sell full art basics uh, still won't yeah because like this is my retirement fund and it's like yeah, yeah when there was only like three foil like three full art basics like it had been printed right and now it's like every other set there's a yeah. full art basic. Yep. Right. At some point like it's like, this set. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, they have lost their luster. Yeah. Right. Cause before it's like, I want full art basics. Okay, cool. You have the two unsets to choose from. Congratulations. Yeah. And now it's like, I want full art basics. 
which multitude of full art basic would you like? Yeah. Pick any number. Yep. Right. I guess there were three because Zendikar had full art basics, original Zendikar. Mm-hmm. But now, like, there's full art basics all over the place. I remember I was excited for full art basics in like, uh, in in battle in BFZ. It's like, oh, cool. Like, I'm never going to buy these. I have like an entire long box of full art basics. I think I have an entire long box of full art land packs from fat packs. Yeah. Like still wrapped up in plastic. (laughs) Yeah. I just have two. I can reach out and I can just grab two. I just have two sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like it's it's very different. Like you don't know what the thing is they're going to just print next. And you're going to just be like, oh, well, I guess I don't get that now. Yeah, I guess I don't get to turn my profit. So right. So it's hard out there now, man. It is hard. I don't think there are. I don't think there is the checklist that you're looking for doesn't exist. I'm, yeah, I'm sad to say. And that's um, just, and like we said, it's just because like wizards keep changing what matters. Right. Right. If we yeah, gave you a sure. checklist now, in three months it could be totally different because they printed four secret layers and. Uh, like announced like another like uh product. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. even like the what the monster double feature. Oh yeah, that's a whole nother thing that I meant to talk about. Right. So we have all these cards, and we're we're like, oh, like so we're like Necro Duality seems like a pretty good card. Well, there's a whole nother like set release coming of some size that is yep. a basically a remaster of the two sets we just got or the set we just got and the set we're going to get in like January or February. Yep. So like, are they going to put Necro duality in that set? Because if they do, it's that's an extra printing that drives the value down. Are they going to like put the adversaries in there? Cause that's an extra printing. So like the, like the one thing that I will say about that double feature set is I meant to bring it up back when we were talking about sealed product because if you're looking to sit on a box of sealed product from either Crimson Vow or Midnight Hunt, I don't think it makes sense to when you could sit on a box of both that's designed for like the draft experience instead of being designed as a regular like standard set. Yeah. But so, if- Right, but we've never had a situation where we have a set that's in print. Right. Being remastered. They, yeah. And then they remaster it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, what does it do? We've not seen that. Yeah. So I think with all of this, I think we have a show. I do think we have a show. So um, if you have any ideas about what to spec on and how to do it, you can get at us on Twitter at Casual Tripod. Yeah, you can also hit us up on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG or email us show at Casual MTG.com. I promise I do check the email even if I don't respond to everyone that I see in there. Uh, Matt had actually sent two emails to make sure that I got one. I had already started writing this episode out when I got the second one. So uh, I do check it all the time. Uh, it's a great way to get a hold of us. Um, if you're looking to make any of your own specs, um, please use our TCG player affiliate link, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. It'll help us support the show when you don't have to do anything extra other than follow that link. So it's real easy for you and it helps us out. 
Uh, if you guys want to put a little bit more effort into it and support us in a little bit different way, uh, you can hit us up on Patreon at patreon.com slash casual tryhard MTG. Patrons get early access to show notes, so you know what we're going to be talking about that week. Uh, you also get access to our pre-show, which we record, kind of, you know, catch up with each other, uh, talk about some of the behind-the-scenes podcast stuff sometimes. Um, just in general, make sure that all our recording stuff is working properly because we're old and sometimes can't figure this stuff out. Um, all that's on Patreon, patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg. And like I said, I just sent out the previous round of givebacks over the weekend, so you should be getting them maybe by the end of the week. Um, and I will be doing the next round sometime in December, so if anybody wants in before then, hop on over, throw a couple bucks in, sign up, and I'll add you to my list. Then we have Discord. Uh, probably the best way to get a hold of me, at least, is in Discord. Um, I do keep the Discord app up on my phone while I'm at work, so if I see something where I got to chime in and answer a question or whatever, I can do that there. There is also a whole finance room in there. If you have any financey questions or want to talk about specs or anything like that, pop in over to our discord. There's a link in the description. There's a link on all our social media. If for some reason, none of those links work, you can't find your way in. You can shoot us an email, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and we'll send you a personalized link to get you in the discords. So you can join the conversation. You got anything else to add? Nope. So with that, we'll catch you on the internets. Catch you on the internets. 